on the wall behind you, swallowing you in darkness. It is almost here. What is it? What if it's the Demogorgon? Oh, Jesus, we're so screwed if it's the Demogorgon. It's not the Demogorgon. An army of troglodytes charge into the chamber. Troglodytes. Told you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you hear that? That, that sound. Boom. Boom. Ow! <gasps> That didn't come from the troglodytes. Now that it came from something else. The Demogorgon. We're oh, <laughs> deep shit. Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today we will be covering the first episode from Season 1 titled Chapter 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers. Alright, let's jump into our top 5 from Episode 1. And I'm the lady, so lady goes first. (laughs) 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 Sorry Sean, taking over, I'm not even going to let you say it. (laughs) Okay, so I'll start. Um, My number 5 was um, just the beginning of how this show started. Um, It starts off, there's these dark halls, lights are flashing, very creepy atmosphere. And you see this guy and he is like just running for dear life. He is super sweaty. He's out of breath. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, what, what, obviously he's running from something. What could have him so scared out of his mind? You know, and he's running, he gets to that elevator. Of course it doesn't work because it never Mm -hmm. does in those situations. They take too long. Exactly. And of course, hitting the button about 20 times does not help the situation. (laughs) (laughs) But I would be doing it too. I mean, this guy, he's just like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, Door finally opens and he's like, you know, he's looking behind him and you just know, you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? You know, it's just so immediately captivating. And just when you think that he's safe, you hear this really freaky noise from up above and swoop. You know, it's like, oh, what what just happened? You know, where is he? What happened? I mean, we see the outside of the sign, so we kind of know where he's at. But it's like, what is going on? Um, I just feel it was a great intro to introduce the show and the series um, to everyone because I feel like it instantly grabs you. This scary, mysterious scene. It's dark. It's, it's uh, you know, this whole vibe, which was great. And then, of course, you don't see... What oh, he's yeah, running yeah. from, which makes it great because it's like that makes it worse than when you really do see it. It's like Jaws, you know? Yeah, you don't see the shark until the end. Exactly. So it makes it even more scary. So, you know, just, just that whole beginning, I thought, I remember having goosebumps watching it and just, you know, I felt like my heart was racing like this poor guy, you know, in the beginning. Um, I, I just thought it was a great way, you know, to start the show. Well, I feel like the the flickering light thing, and and you don't, I don't know if you really see that enough in movies, because usually whenever it happens, the lights go out, they don't just flicker. Mm-hmm. And there's something super creepy about like the flickering like strobe lights. Like I don't know if you ever went to like a junior high dance, <laughs> and when they kick on the yeah. strobe light, like you're like, oh my god, this is the creepiest thing ever. Yes. <laughs> and that's what this guy has going on at the moment. Like he's running, like you said, from something he doesn't know what it is. You know, he gets to the door, he's pressing the button as quick as he can, which probably actually is hurting him. Like, I don't even know if that helps. Like, does the elevator know that you're trying to hurry it up? Be like, hurry up and get here, elevator. 
Yeah, it's not an emergency mode, you know? It doesn't go any faster. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Okay, see, this is where we're going to make our money, Rima. What we're going to do is we're going to invent an emergency button for elevators. <gasps> that you is know, genius. It's going to be the little glass. It's like break in case of a monster. Like must hit <laughs> 10 times in a row very quickly to kick in emergency mode. <laughs> you have, no, you have to press it 11 times. Right. Oh. <laughs> and that bypasses all the other floors and goes right there. Right. But that's that the the thing with this is it's just like the old um Hell House by uh oh I can't I think Vincent Price was in it where like you don't see the ghost, you don't see the monster, you don't see the shark, and your imagination just goes like, you know, worse than anything they could show you on screens, like what's in your imagination. And that's what they really play on in that moment. Right, definitely. Yeah, it was great. So what what was your number five? So my number five, I, uh, you know, you get this, it actually basically tags along right to your number five. So you see the sentry, you see this dude just run in for his life and, you know, you think he's safe, he gets pulled out of the elevator, right? And all of a sudden you, you cut to uh, this kid talking over about, you know, this evil creature, you know, you're being surrounded and, you know, you're like, oh my God, like what's going on? And they cut to one of my most favorite things in the world, a bunch of people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And oh, I don't know if you've have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I was the lone geek in my school. <laughs> I did not have anyone to play. It takes <laughs> obviously more than one player. So yeah. no, I know what it's about. I know you know, like kind of how to do things, but no, never played. Enlighten me. I mean, I always explain it like, you know, I used to play back in college with my buddy. And it was like six of us, which is the perfect, like, I think they had, what, five in the, the group in the, in the TV show. But that five to six range is, like, ideal because you have the dungeon master who's, like, setting the scene. And exactly what the kid's doing, like, he's like, you're being surrounded. And all the guys are like, oh, my God, what's it going to be? And he's like, it's, I don't remember what it was, but it's like, it's a goblin. Like, whoo, it's not the Demogorgon. Thank God it's not the Demogorgon. Exactly what happens when you're playing with your friends because it's, you know, just this make-believe world. And what's fun about it is, you know, when I explain when you're older, it's like 85 to 90 percent just BSing with your friends and 10 mm-hmm. percent playing actual Dungeons and Dragons. And I, you kind of get that like these guys have played for a while, you know, and the, of course it is the Demogorgon that comes in. And they're shouting back and forth. It's like fireball, no cast protection, which is a kind of a foreshadowing towards the end of this episode, which I loved. And uh, so he ends up casting fireball, right? And it rolls under somewhere and they're all freaking out trying to figure out what it is. And the line that the kid says, the guy that's a DM, his mom is opens the door and she says like, hey, come on, it's time to go. He's like, oh, but, you know, we got the campaign. You know, we're right in the middle of a battle. She's like, you mean the end? Which is, you know, <laughs> my wife has called me and said that numerous times. So I'm very, very uh, used to that kind of conversation. But as he's talking about, he's like, this took two weeks to do, like to create, which uh, I've, I've created a campaign before. I've got like an 80 page campaign I've done. Oh my gosh. And it took probably a month or more to write. I wrote like chapters as I went. Um, but like to create a, you know, uh, from scratch campaign takes a lot of time. And the the phrase after he says like, well, how was I supposed to know it was going to take 10 hours to play? And the mom, you know, replies accordingly, like anybody who's never played D&D, like, what do you mean you guys have been playing for 10 hours? <laughs> 
Uh, but like you just get the setup of like these kids are like really good friends. There's a, a cool mix of like, you know, they're all seem very, very different. Like they don't seem like they're the same kind of person. They all have their own um, personalities. And, yeah. you know, you just get that kind of stand by me. Like, you know, these are guys are like bros for life kind of thing. Like these are bestest friends in the world. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's all foreshadowing, which is cool. Like these are the kids that are going to fight monsters together in this mythical, you know, pretend world and then i'm assuming i've only seen the first episode but i'm assuming maybe even in the real world mm-hmm. i i think that you're right yeah that's great i um will just add you know the hilarity of that moment you know as mike is trying to tell his mom like please we can't stop playing we're in the middle of this campaign and we didn't know it was going to take 10 hours <laughs> and um she's like looking at him like are you kidding me you know ten, <laughs> you've been playing 10 hours and i'm like you know, I kind of get that from a mom perspective, but I know I've had some, you know, weekends where I have sat and played Tomb Raider or Resident Evil yeah. for probably close to the same amount of time. So it's not quite out of the <laughs> realm, you know, for me. I'm kind of like, well, okay, 10 hours. I've, I've probably had video game sessions <laughs> that lasted <laughs> as long. And, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it, it, the show set in like 1983. There was Atari then, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. To, I think yeah, had so I mean, but I mean, not everybody had Atari, not everybody had ex- access to it. You know, it was probably pretty expensive. So I'm sure this was like what we would look at as like, you know, people playing, you know, the video games that of today that, you know, take that people are online all day. So, you know, I just thought that was um, that stood out to me as really funny. Cause I'm like, oh, come on, mom, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to say like, this is the 80s. So she was probably a kid of like the 70s or the 60s. So you know, their their thing back then might have been like too much TV, maybe. I'm not right. sure. But yeah, it's definitely a mom kind of response. Definitely. That was really funny. That's great. Great number five. Okay, do you have anything else to say about that? Uh nope. Yeah. So what's uh what's your number four? So my number four, and, and you touched on it a lot, so I won't go into it too much, but my, my number four um are the kids. Uh, this group of kids, like you stated already, they have this really great chemistry. And it's amazing to see just in the first episode how well they mesh. You know, um, I, I've read a little bit about, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes stuff and how they tried to like kind of prep these kids for this show. Because obviously these kids, you know, um, are you know, not familiar with the eighties and such. So mm. they're not, you know, I don't know how much time that they had prior to filming, you know, to get to know each other and to kind of immerse themselves and educate a little bit about the era that they were going to be, you know, in this show. Um, but it was just really cool to see, like you said, all that banter back and forth, um, during their playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, when they're in the principal's office, when they're being questioned, um, yeah. you know, by the cop and, and, and they're like bantering back and forth, like, you know, <laughs> shut up, shut up. You know, it's, you know, and they're going back and forth. It's Lord of the Rings. It's a hobbit, you know, and it's just, you could just really buy into their friendship. You just immediately get it. It's like, they're not having to try too hard. Um, and I really, really like that. And it, and it was easy to believe that they really cared for one another when Will did go missing. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, when Mike's like, you know, that's, that's my friend and, and we're going to go find him and we're going to do this. And, you know, it was easy to believe that. Um, and I just think that they're just adorable, you know, and, and they're all just these <laughs> adorable boys. And then, of course, Eleven comes in later um, at, in like towards the middle of the show. And she's just adorable. But these this core group of, of friends, they're just adorable. Their they're love of the, their geeky things like their comics and Dungeons and Dragons just is so reminiscent of whenever I grew up, you know, being a little geek myself. 
um, and loving those, you know, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but, um, you know, I was a big comic geek. So just all those things, um, was just reminiscent. So that's, that's pretty much my number four is kind of what you went into a little bit. So that was all I wanted to add to what you said. I think some, I mean, kind of like looking at the show, but like the kids themselves, I think a lot of times as a viewer, um, sometimes you forget like these are kid actors and like to be able to, to base you know, look like you are actually like these close of friends and be able to hit these lines and things like that is super impressive. Um, you know, like there's actors out there that probably couldn't pull this off what these kids are doing here in this first episode. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure if what they've probably shot before this, like I'm, I'm guessing this may not have been the first scene they shot together, but like you talk about the whole scene, like when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, like it's like, you see it there when they're in the principal's office, you see it there. Even the scene when they're around the uh, ham radio, mm-hmm. like there's just a nice little, like just, it seems so natural. Uh, which I think is probably one of the reasons this has been such a highly rated show is because of the fact that these kids are doing such a great job as as the actors in it. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. And I didn't get to look to see too much as um, other acting jobs and how new or like if this was like their first job, was it their 10th job? I have no idea. But whatever whatever they were doing, you know, it, it was working. These kids are just naturals. Um, and I'm sure by now, um, because they are, you know, how season two is getting ready to air. So they've been hanging around long enough and, and, you know, I'm sure they are all really good friends by now, but at that point when they started filming, they couldn't have, you know, had that much history. So just to see how natural they all were and how they could all, you know, act like they've been friends since like kindergarten or something is what it reminds me of. Cause they're in this tiny town Hawkins. I don't oh, yeah. know if it ever says, at least in the first episode, how big the town is, but I get a sense it's a pretty small town. It reminds me of the town I grew up in. Um, a very, very tiny town. So um, they've all probably known each other, you know, since like kindergarten or something. And it, it just really comes across. Yeah, it's very relatable from kind of where I'm, I'm from a small town of like 600 people. Mm-hmm. So like the kids I grew up with, like, you know, the same like 15 kids I went to preschool with all the way up through high school. And that that is kind of the feel you get like this is a small Midwestern town where there's not much in this town. You know, the biggest thing that happened was when an owl tried to, you know, <laughs> nest in some lady's hair. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a very tame, you know, everybody keeps their doors unlocked kind of town. Um, and, yeah, it's just very relatable. Yeah, I never really thought about it until you mentioned that. But, yeah, it's very relatable kind of to, to how I grew up. Yeah, that's hilarious that you say that. I think whenever I was growing up, you mentioned like 15. I think whenever I was growing up, there was probably, you know, you might have every now and again, one or two new kids kind of coming in and out throughout the years. But from the time I started kindergarten until I had moved later on in like um, high school to a different school, uh, we had no more than probably 25 kids in our class at a time. Uh, Yeah, I think my my sister's class, the, the one below me, was a big deal because they had 50 kids in their class. It was oh the gosh. biggest class in school history. And you think about like, you know, when a new kid came to our school, it was a big deal. It's like, yeah. who is this new person? But, you know, like in bigger schools, you just like, oh, yeah, I, you know, are you a new person or have you been here for the last 10 years? I don't know. I, yeah. You know, there's 700 of us or, you know, 2,000 of us. Yeah, you don't even know. Oh, yeah, there's, oh, there's a new kid? Didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> You definitely knew it in our schools. That's for sure. It was a big deal because you look at those same faces in your class every yeah. day, year after year. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. I'm just letting all my hip, hip history out <laughs> right now. <Yeah. laughs> uh. Sorry, folks. Um, okay. That's awesome. Oh, what's, what's your number four? Uh, so my number four, uh, it's, it's the title card. So it's, um, you see this title card come through and it's very reminiscent. I only read a few of these, 
but it's very reminiscent of the choose your own adventure style books. And then even when they cut in with the the title sequence of the t- the not the the actual name Stranger Things, but like the chapter one, um, just gives you that feel of like, oh, I'm reading this choose your own adventure book. So as you're going through this show, you're like, okay, what would I do in this situation? Oh, you know, fast forward to hour mark three. Okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to fight the Demogorgon. Okay, do you want to go left or right? I want to go right. Okay, go back to page, you know, twenty two. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, like you said, it's very 80s because like you look at like nowadays, you know, kids got like the TV sh- or not TV shows. I'm sorry. They have like the, the role playing type video games where you're kind of doing the choose your own adventure, but more in a sense of it's visually being told of you instead of it being kind of in your mind. And this is the title card and the, the um, episode card kind of gave me that feel again of like going back to those books. Yes, I loved those books. <laughs> Get oh, yeah. that you bring them up. Yeah, those were awesome. There was a, I always hate it because, so this is kind of a, a quick story. You know, I was in like first or second grade. I had one of these books and the teacher says, okay, well, you have to read for 15 minutes or until you finish whatever book you're on. And of course I had to choose your own adventure and somehow I screwed up and I finished in like three minutes, which, you know, was pretty quick. And so like I finished, I'm like, well, I finished the book. And she's like, well, there's like a hundred pages. I'm like, well, it's, it's a choose your own adventure. This is what I did. It's like, okay, well, no more choose your own adventures for reading time. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they could be kind of long or short based on your decisions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could skip huge chunks of the book based on, you know, well, if you do this or do that and you go to this page, go to that page. Sometimes it was pretty short. So that's not fair. Yeah, I think I end up I think I end up getting eaten by a plant or something in the one I read. So not only was I depressed because I got eaten by a plant, but then the teacher was banning these books for us to read. Better th- a plant than a demigorgon. That's true. Yeah, I learned a lot about a demigorgon. Uh, even though I've played D anD D, I've never faced a demigorgon, and I have learned that they are one of the most powerful beings in the D anD D universe. And there's only oh. one of them. It's not like there's multiples of this kind. It's just a one thing is a demigorgon. And if you run into one of those, I guess they're in the 88th level of the abyss. If you run into one, trouble's going to happen. <laughs> wow. Well, you could tell, I mean, even if you're not very familiar with D&D, as I'm not, like I said, I, I know the concept, but never played. And I certainly am not familiar with all the different characters or what can happen. But man, when he f- threw that demigorgon out in the middle of that table, I thought all those boys were going to crap their pants. So oh, yeah. that obviously, you you know, even if you don't know or have played, you kind of get, oh, that's a big deal in that game. <laughs> so <laughs> I picked up on that. <laughs> that's great. Do you have anything else on your number four? Nope. That's all I have for number four, just the title card and the uh, the chapter card. Yeah, I, I really like that. I thought it was really cool how they do the chapter one. Um you know, kind of thing, choose your own adventure kind of style. That's really awesome. I totally agree. Okay. My number three is just in a lot of mine are are slightly just kind of general and almost kind of generic. So I apologize to everyone. Um, But it it really was a thrill for me for the era that this was set in because I am a child of the 80s. I'm not giving away my age, folks. You're just going to have to try and figure it out based on any clues that I might throw out there. Um, completely unintentional. It's 2017, and if you go back to the 80s, you're 23, 24? Oh, God, you're so good. <laughs> so good. Gosh, give you a medal. Um, that's exactly right. Yeah, we're, we're going to say that every year. 
Um, <laughs> but it's it's it was so cool because you just don't quite see it anymore. Um, you know, kind of movies or shows kind of going back there very often, or at least not done very well. And I really liked it. I've heard a few, you know complaints not huge but a few you know rumblings here and there about how some people didn't really think it was well I don't feel that that represented the 80s at all but to me it represented my 80s you know um like the and how the time was kind of different um how you know the kids are riding their bike after dark and it's like kids don't hardly really do that anymore um but you know that was a time that you could do that um latchkey kids you know, Will seemed to be like a latchkey kid. Mm. And that was really familiar to me because I was a latchkey kid. Um, I My mom is a single mom and she worked a lot in the evenings or whenever I got home from school, I, you know, I had to let myself in the house. I'd have to get my own dinner sometimes. You know, sometimes she wouldn't be home till kind of late or something. So, I mean, I totally relate to all of that. That's why <laughs> some of it comes was kind of so scary. It was because like, oh my gosh, you know, that I kind of, you know, was by myself a lot too. Um, and then... And just like the whole setting of it, like, because I was an 80s kid, I watched, I, I've been like in love with horror films since I, I was five. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge fan of like Poltergeist, Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are some of my favorite 80s. There's a, a ton more and I'm not going to name them all. Um, but those are a couple that stand out for me uh, that I feel like this kind of captures a little bit of the feel of that, that, you know, just totally scare the pants off of you kind of feel um of course the horrible fashion i wouldn't be true to myself if i didn't mention how horrible some of the fashion was and you're just like oh my gosh thank you so much that we don't still wear that stuff it was just awful um you know the some of the clothes are just horrible um i didn't wear that stuff by the way um just i feel like i have to mention that um and then of course the rotary phone oh yeah yeah just all this awesome 80s nostalgia, just I love that um, so much in the show that it just it really um, that's a big thing of nostalgia for me. The 80s and the 90s and the 80s as a kid um, was a big was a big deal. So that's that's my number three. Well, I think that's pretty um, I, I didn't really think about it too much until you were kind of mentioned a little bit ago about some of it. You know, like it's it's in the Midwest. And I wonder if like a lot of the grumblings is because whenever people see the 80s now, it's more of like the coastal 80s. And like this really did feel like because I was late 80s, early 90s is kind of when I was in their age range. So it it had, I mean, a little bit before me, but still felt very similar to how I grew up. You know, like you looked at like uh, Nancy's friend, the one with the short hair and the big old 80s glasses. And, you know, the uh, mom style pants. Like I see that I see Nancy's friend. I'm like, my mom dressed like that when I was like five or six. So, I mean, I I've seen that fashion. And you know, you kind of say like, "Oh man, that fashion was horrible." The bad thing is, even at this age, like I look back ten years when I was in college, and the fashion then is even like, "Good lord, why was I spiking my hair?" <laughs> Frosted tips, really, Sean? <laughs> oh my gosh, I remember that. <laughs> It's like I was a Backstreet Boy in training. You and everyone else at the time—that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, love love the eighties. So, yep that's that's my number three. What is your number three? So, my number three it it took me a little bit to pinpoint, um, but I think they call him Hopper, right? Hop, the yeah. sheriff. And you know, I love I love his whole character right off the bat. Like you know, you see him, and it's all just very very small stuff, but it's, it just seems to like just be huge, like great. Because um, you know, like whenever they talk about actors, it's about making choices. 
all of the uh, choices he made when he was first introduced, I felt just like very much pinpointed what this character is. You know, you see him passed out on the couch with all these beer cans all over the place. You know, he gets up, he walks out. like he doesn't even say any words. He's standing outside. He's got his pants undone, so his underwear is sticking out a little bit, and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and just like the thing that, like, just like wow, that's really, really like interesting. Is he's smoking and he shivers. You know, it's just something you don't really see much in, like when you're watching an actor, like just like he's outside in the cold because he's probably hung over smoking a cigarette, and he just kind of like does a yes. little shiver because it's cold out. Yeah, it's supposed to be like November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like. You know, and again, kind of going back to the 80s a little bit, but he comes into work at small town, you know, and the, the secretary is telling him all this stuff that's going on. He's like, what do we say about the morning? I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like, was it? It's, it morning is for contemplation. Coffee, coffee and contemplation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I don't want to hear about some kid missing. He's probably fine. This is Hawking's. Hawking's. Yep. And, uh, you know, he walks in and, you know, there's uh, the mom, you know, freaking out and she's going through the whole spiel about like how he gets made fun of Like they make fun of his clothes and he just doesn't get it. You know, he's like, well, what's wrong with his clothes? And again, this kind of goes more like to small town eighties. And she's like, well, you know, the so-and-so boy calls him and, you know, some basic like, you know, uh, homosexual slurs. And, you know, like nowadays people be like, that's really like inappropriate. Why is that kid calling him that? Yeah. But this is the eighties, right? So, when she says that, he's like, well, is he? And she's like, well, does that matter? <laughs> right. Maybe. You know, and you just get like this, like, that's the one time you're kind of like, oh, man, what a jerk. But I think it fits that time period and small town time period pretty, pretty well. Not well isn't good, but like basically what it was like back like then. Like true. Yeah, true, exactly. True to the true to the time and, and the era and uh, the location being oh, small yeah, town, like you sure. said. Yeah. Um, and the thing, I'll probably keep an eye out for this, but... For some reason, I kept feeling like Hopper had all three aspects from the guys from Jaws. So I feel like he's got a little bit of the sheriff in him. He's got a little <laughs> bit of Hooper, and he's got a little bit of the captain in him, too. Yeah, so, Quint. <laughs> Quint, exactly. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for that to see if he, if he falls more into one or if he kind of is embodied of all three. Because I've heard that when they've talked to the, the creators of the show, like they're very big in the 80s of like Jaws and E.T. and Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg and, you know, George Lucas, like a lot of that stuff. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. It may just me be hoping because I've kind of got a Jaws fear, like hate love relationship with that movie. Yeah. So maybe I'm just reaching on that. But um, but yeah, so my third. Uh, my third in this list is uh, the small town cop Hopper. That's that's great. He's great. He's a really great character. And and like you said, it was it just seems so real. I mean, oh, I don't yeah. know if there was just something about this uh, chemistry with all of these actors, and they just got the right actor for the right for this part, um, and for all the parts. I mean, the kids and everyone included really did a great job. Um, but yeah, I noticed that too, that he's, you know, yeah, you can tell he's, he's, cause he's crashed on his couch, you know, yeah. he, he probably passed out there from watching whatever late night TV, you see beer cans everywhere and, you know, and yeah, he goes outside on his deck and, you know, it just, it just looks genuine mm-hmm. and, you know, it just, just refreshing. Definitely small town. Like when he brushes his teeth, he washes his mouth out with beer. <laughs> Wasn't it Schlitz beer or something? I think so, yeah. Like a really I mean, awful kind of beer? I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry if you love Schlitz. I'm not a beer drinker. Maybe it's pretty awesome. I apologize if you love Schlitz. 
Yeah, we're in the we're in the age of at least good or better beer. I would say now, like we have those smaller beer manufacturers instead of like Schlitz and like you have to have Schlitz, Bud Light, Bush. You know, we we get the more uh, you know local breweries, so we kind of luck out there. I think. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, um, I think beer has improved over the ages, <laughs> um, or at least I guess the beer drinkers would maybe agree. I am not a beer drinker. Uh, yeah, One that's question. Great. One question I had about him is he, I know I I thought I saw him like accepting the Emmy or whatever award they won for this show. Mm-hmm. Is he one of the brothers that created this, or is he one of the directors or writers, or is he just just one of the actors, or do you know for sure? I am almost positive because I know that the creators are the Duffer brothers and they're twins. Okay. Um, and then Sean Levy is also involved, and I think he's the one that helped them at least. He, he's somehow involved, I don't know, in creation or got the Duffer Brothers in with Netflix because I know that they shopped this around and were turned down like 15 times before they were picked up with Netflix. Um, so I don't think that he's – if he is, I could totally be wrong because I, I haven't looked too much at this point um, as far as his – I think he's just one – I just think he's just an actor. I don't think okay. he's been involved in behind the scenes or any relation to – those people but hey listeners if i'm if i'm wrong please feel free i i i can accept when i'm wrong okay most of the time so if you (laughs) if i'm wrong please let me know um but i'll i don't know it is interesting i wasn't sure because it seemed like for some because i hadn't watched the show but i remember seeing the speech that somebody gave and i thought it was him that gave that really emotional speech when they won that award but i could be wrong he yeah because he did i oh gosh and i don't even remember which if it was the emmys or if it was a sag or something i know that the show's won uh lots of awards this past year um during the award season um, so they did really well and I remember him accepting an award and I don't remember exactly what his speech was, but I remember it being something very moving and emotional. Um, and it, it, it moved me whenever I saw it. Um, I thought, well, that's great. And I know that he's, you know, gotten some pretty good, um, I, isn't he, I think, oh gosh, I'm going to say it and I'm probably wrong, but isn't he doing the Hellboy re- reboot? I was just peeking at his IMDb and I thought I saw something. I don't know if he's Hellboy or if he's just associated with it but yeah that that looks like he's tagged on that project yeah so you know it seems like things you know have which I think he's a a pretty well-known actor I know I've seen him in other things like a character actor he's got pretty good credits you know he's been a working actor for many years um so you know and and it seems like this has really helped put him out there even more because he's he has given a really great performance I feel um in the series so far and definitely even just in this in the first in the first episode I think many people would agree that a lot of the acting the kids the adults everybody's just like in that perfect role for them oh yeah, um, yeah. just really knocked it out of the park so I totally agree I really really like his character so good number three um okay moving along my number two is just the whole scene with Will after he has left uh, Mike's house playing D&D um, and the circumstances around his disappearance. That whole scene is was like my worst nightmare oh, <laughs> that yes. I had as a kid. Because I used to, you know, like I said, I was a latchkey kid. Mo- you know, my mom was a single mom. I was an only child, so I had no siblings. So I could just pretty much run with my friends and, and hang out and just come home whenever. And I've come home plenty of times after dark and it's, 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 you know, small town, not a lot of lights, you know, out on the road. Um, I did not have a light on my bicycle either, by the way, I was just going, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> so I had no help there. Um, but you know, I, I feel like, you know, you hear something, you know, as you're riding your bike down the road and it's kind of rural, you know, and there's, you know, some trees and stuff around, you hear noises or you get into your house and you just swear that you're hearing a noise, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I, I, I watched like every scary movie that there was, I was completely obsessed with them and I still am, you know, to this day. But of course, you know, you watch all of those and what's the consequences you your imagination goes crazy, you know? Um, so this, this was so scary to me as he's riding his bike and he sees this figure in the road. And I mean, I, the first time that I, I saw that I was, I would have done the exact same thing. It was scared, yes. scared me to death, ran off the road. He handled it so much better than, than I did. Cause he at least had the good sense to keep running and, you know, he gets to his house. I mean, I just, I was like, my heart was racing as this kid is running to the house. And I'm thinking, run, 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 run faster. You know, and he finally gets in his house, locks the door. Um, you know, he's trying to call the police and get help. His lights are flickering. The phone is getting all weird. Um, he sees it, you know, like coming up to the up to the door. He decides to run out the back, um, out to the shed where there's a gun. Um, and I'm like, oh, dude, you're handling this so much better than me. I would have just been <laughs> frozen in fear and just peeing my pants and just stare, staring there in horror. Um, the whole the whole sequence from the time that you know he's going down the road and 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 sees the shape of this uh, creature, whatever you want to call it, um, in the middle of the road until you know until he's in the shed and then there it is you still don't see it you know and it just makes it worse because your imagination's running wild Mm -hmm. i had goosebumps the entire time scared the pants off of me i am a grown-ass woman and it still (laughs) scared the hell out of me so (laughs) that's what i love i love to be scared and that's what i think i really love about this whole show is it's it's ability to still scare me like i said I'm i'm a horror movie veteran I've seen them all from good to bad, um, and this this show, it, it just in this first episode, scared the hell out of me, and I loved it. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, as a kid, it's the bike thing, right? Like, you're riding your bike, you look down, you look up, and there's the monster. Like, as you grow up, you have that same fear. I know I do. It's getting in your vehicle, your truck, and looking in the back seat, and the monster being there. Yes. And if you luck out and the monster's not there, you take that corner, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the monster's in front of your vehicle. <laughs> And what we learned from Will, like, um, fight or flight, I think, is a very real thing. And in this situation, we learned that that Will's a fighter. He fights. Like, he was going to put up a stand. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, I am totally a flight person. I would have run, like, all the way across the Indiana state line back to (laughs) Illinois or Ohio (laughs) or south, wherever. (laughs) But, I mean, that was my reaction because, I mean, you know, you get the beginning where something's happening. But then when you get to this scene and you see that creature, like, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like an alien, but it's all, like, it's it's black, but you don't see any features, but it's kind of got an arm and a head and legs. And it, like, just stumbles towards him. It's messing up his light. It's messing up his phone. And his, I can't remember really seeing the dog anywhere because I was probably so scared. But, like, what's the dog doing for him in this moment? Right. Not a lot. I know the the thing I was hoping, like, is when I put myself in, like, if you go back to, like, choose your own adventure, like, you're this kid, like, you hope, like, when you come in that door, like, your mom's home or your big brother's home, like, when you get scared as a, as a kid, like, you just want to, like, run to that parent or that, like, person that you look up to that keeps you safe. Mm-hmm. And that's what he looked for. But at that moment, he's like, well, shit, they're not here, so I, I, I'm going to put up a fight. And... He just disappears. I don't know where he is, but he disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Will. It's just, it's a mystery. And that's what's so great. It's like, there's so much suspense and mystery. 
um, or, you know, surrounding this whole show and, and the events and what's going on, it just, it really captivates you. I think that's why I probably binged it so hard, which I don't typically do with, with these shows. I try to space them out because, you know, once you've watched it, it's over, you know, there's no, there's nothing else to look forward to. Um, but I couldn't help it. It's like, I, I was like, when the first episode ended, I was like, well, I can't stop now, you know, <laughs> it's like, how, how do you not keep watching, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, I think just what makes this, this show so great is just how it, 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 it's like not much does it anymore. I still watch horror movies, but not much surprises me anymore. Not much grabs me and captures my attention. And I feel so like just jaded about so many of them anymore. It's like, Oh, that's not good. Oh, that's a disappointment. Yeah. And you know, of course we've got what Stephen King's new it coming out. Right. Oh, so yeah. I'm, hearing, I'm pumped for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hate myself when I go watch it. <laughs> and I'm going to watch it because I have, I have, you know, it's getting great reviews and, and I'd love to be scared. I'm hoping it will surprise me. Um, but you just don't see that anymore. I feel like I watch things and I already figure out what's going to happen yeah, and, and what the plot is and what's going to happen next. And it's just not surprising anymore. And I think this really surprised me whenever I first watched it. So that's, I think, why I was so excited about it. And I'm really well, that's excited. What, that's what I love about like Netflix and stuff like that. I think it's just this new avenue. Because I think like movies and stuff, they're they're too concerned about – they kind of treat the audience as dumb. So they, mm -hmm. they're like, okay, this trope works. This reboot kind of thing works. Like let's not make them think too much. Because, you know, if somebody's like, oh, yeah, I figured it out. I'm super smart. It's like, okay, great. More people are going to go see it. But if it's like really difficult and you're like, I don't get it, then that's going to be the, you know, what gets thrown out there. And people are like, oh, I've heard it's bad. Well, it's not bad. It's just it, you have to really watch it. Mm -hmm. But Netflix and things like that, I think, are like, well, we're just going to throw it up there. And, you know, instead of trying to, you know, have 30 million people watch it a week, we're going to be cool if we get 10 million people to watch it or 5 million people. Like we're just wanting to make really good content. I think that's what it gives, like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, they give like creators, like like you said, this show was, um, tried. they tried to sell it to multiple networks, like, nope, not going to work. And, you know, here they are, Netflix is like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And it wins awards and it's a highly acclaimed TV show. Yeah, it definitely got people talking about it. I remember before I even watched it, you know, hearing all the chatter, you know, before my kid even made me stop everything <laughs> to watch it. Um, I thought, gosh, what is this all about? And whenever I started learning more about it and I thought, Oh, it's, it's, it's eighties and it's supposed to be kind of scary. Well, okay. Yeah. Why not? You know? And yeah, I th you're, you're right. You, you hit it on the head. They've allowed, given them a platform, I think to be creative and, and really put that stuff out there. And I'm, I'm so glad because it's, it's wonderful. And I'm really looking forward to season two for sure. Anything else on your number two? Was that, or was that your number two? That was my number two. Sorry, okay. your number oh, no, two. My bad. All right. Uh, so for my number two, I had to watch this scene multiple times because I thought it was such a well-written scene that, like, you know, you're, it goes back to the things we've already covered where, like, the perfect people were cast for this. You know, it's after Will disappears, and it's uh, Michael sitting around the dinner table with his family. And his sister Nancy's mad because she can't go out because she wants to go see Steve. <laughs> and, you know, he calls her out on it. And the guy who plays Ted is like the perfect like 80s dad who is kind of like, you know, he's just the breadwinner. Like raising the kids is not his job. He's just there to kind of, you know, work his eight to five, come home, eat the dinner that's on the table. And, you know, when mom says the kids are out of line, you know, discipline them. 
Right. Listen the, to your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing I love is like, you know, Will's freaking out. He's like, or I'm sorry, Michael's freaking out over his friend Will. He's like, you know, we got to do something. It's like, you guys are the, acting like you don't care. I'm the only one that's talking sane. And his dad, Ted, is like, well, we care. As he picks up another bite Keeps of his food. <laughs> yes. Takes another bite. It's like, okay, your kid, like, your your son's best friend is missing. Like, <laughs> legitimately missing. And it's like, well, I can't be disturbed while I eat my pot pie right here. So, you know, you're just a kid. I'm eating. I'm dead. I got to go to work tomorrow. So, you know, can we just have a few moments of silence? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it. I love. So, you know, Michael gets upset and leaves and Ted is like, you know, just let him go. And he continues to eat. And the wife stands up with her youngest kid and she's like, well, I hope you enjoy your meal, Ted. And yeah, so she walks off. He's chicken. like, <laughs> and he's like, "What I do? What I do?" And he's still sitting there, still eating too. <laughs> well, then at that point, he kind of dropped his fork, like, "Oh, well, now I can't enjoy this dinner. Thanks for ruining my evening, everyone." I know that that whole scene really cracked me up. I was thinking the same exact thing as you, and I don't know if you noticed. I don't know the the. Um, little girl's character name I don't even know her real name but her character um, the, the the baby the toddler that's sitting in the high chair if you watch her um, as this whole exchange is going back and forth you know Mike's really upset about Will his his mom and they're all arguing about you know the the teenage daughter going out um, and and Mike's upset and arguing about Will and all this banter back and forth between them and you keep seeing the, the toddler baby in the back and her the look on her face yeah. <laughs> like the entire time. I'm not even like at this point paying attention to the actual conversation that's happening between, you know, the, the parents and the kids. I just keep looking at this daughter because she's got like sitting there like tennis match. You know, <laughs> she's like watching back and forth and she's like, what's going on? Her eyes are real big and her mouth's open and the mom's like, here, have some juice. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and she looks legitimately concerned too. I know she, the bad thing is she's young enough. Like she probably was concerned. She's like, oh my gosh, why is everybody yelling? Yeah. Somebody said action and then hell broke loose. Right. Because she, she was definitely, um, I don't know how old she's supposed to be in the show. I don't know how old she was in real life, but definitely, um, you know, just a, a baby actor and she's probably just still has, has absolutely no, uh, uh, conception of what the heck is going on mm-hmm. so but she that that was played to perfection if you ever go back and watch that again um definitely watch that that little girl um she she was really cracking me up during that whole scene but yeah, yeah you nailed it 80s that's, that's, dad yeah sets the dynamic of the 80s dad and the you know the 80s family you know two and a half kids mm-hmm. dog a house and uh yeah I'm I don't know if he's gonna be in the show much more but I'm kind of that's another person I'm kind of gonna look out to see like what's Ted's character gonna be in this or is he just gonna <laughs> always be that 80s dad like shows up to discipline the kids you know he comes home from work from a job he probably hates probably um but yeah that was my number two the the Michael dinner scene that's funny well we're, we're all gonna be thinking from now on like what would Ted do so <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're gonna base all of our decisions. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so my number one, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, so I'll try not to to go too deep into it, but um, just the the veteran actors um, here in the show. We've Mm. talked a lot about, like, the kids in the show, because they are obviously a really big piece, but, you know, 
you you have to have the yin and the yang and this other half of it with these kids that are like the main centric well these adults are big characters in the show too and it's a big contrast to the little kids you have these adults and they got some really great veteran actors uh, for these parts you got Winona Ryder which gosh how long has it been since we've seen her in something you know oh geez um, yeah like I mean the only thing I remember her from uh, Beetlejuice, she was in that, right? Yes. I mean, I know she's Lydia been in a Deets. ton of stuff since then, but yeah, Beetlejuice is like the only thing I can really remember seeing her in. Yeah, well, and I mean, she's got a great, I mean, she's been in so many things from the 90s. She was definitely really, I think, more prominent in like the 90s, you know, did lots of things, you know, here and there in, the, in like the 2000s and stuff. And then you just didn't hear from her anymore. And I always loved her as an actress. I thought she was always fantastic. I, You know, I won't say I've watched every movie that she's done, um, but you know, cause there was, I think an Adam Sandler movie that I had absolutely no interest in at all that she, <laughs> she was inside. <laughs> can't say I watched that. Um, but you know, everything that I've watched her in, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, seeing her. So I thought it was really great that they brought her back. I think it was a great comeback kind of role. I don't know if that's appropriate to say that for her or not, but it seems like a great comeback role for her. I think that she, I think that she played it really well. I think she has a couple, and I'm going to just try to stick to – I know I've seen the whole – or at least season one, um, and I'm going to try to just stick to this episode and not talk a lot about the rest of the series. Um, I think there's a few times that she's a slightly, just slightly over the top. Maybe in the beginning whenever mm-hmm. she's, you know, well, where's Will? You have to wake him up, you know, yeah, and she's running yeah. late for work. I feel some of that was maybe just a little bit over the top. But I thought the rest of it was pretty appropriate. She's anxious. She's upset. Her child is legit missing. She knows he's not just out goofing around or he's not a troublemaker kind of child where he's out making trouble. And he just didn't come home for the night. You know, she's legitimately concerned. So I feel like that's appropriate because I know if that was my kid, I'd be losing my shit until my kid is home. I mean, I think any mom, dad, parent that truly cares about their kids, we'd all be acting that way. And we're all going to be raising hell with local law enforcement or anyone that would listen to us, you know, to try to bring attention. So I, you know, I I know I heard some people kind of grumble about her performance and how, you know, some of it was kind of over the top, but I'm like, well, her kid is missing, you know, how would you act? You know, wouldn't you be kind of acting the same? So she's, she's part of my number one. I'm just Winona writer, David Harbor, the guy that plays, um, Hopper, mm-hmm. uh, the small town cop. He just, <laughs> he's, he's been around for a while. He's got lots of movie credits to his name. Really, really liked his performance. I really like how he's, you know, like you see him, like you mentioned in the beginning, he's a little bit burned out, small town cop, there ain't nothing happening in this town. This dude is just collecting a paycheck. Yep. Mm-hmm. And walking into his office, he doesn't really give a rat's patootie what's going on, you know, really, because everything's just, you know, when he's like, oh, the garden knows. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, again. garden knows. <laughs> yep, I'll get right on that. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. He's just like burned out and he's just like, whatever. Um, but, but then you see him, you know, as he starts to kind of investigate a little bit about Will and it's, you can start to see that transition uh, from this, you know, just kind of doing this to get the mom to shut up, you mm-hmm. know, just to get to pacify her. They're, they're going to find him somewhere and all is going to be well. And it's just some big, you know, mistake somewhere along the way. But then as he starts investigating and then you can kind of see his real cop kind of light turn on. And he's like, you know, he's looking at the ding and the wall, you know, what was this? Was this oh, yeah. here? Uh-huh. You know, what happened here? You know, and he goes out 
you know, to the shed and, and sees this thing in the corner and it, it, lights are flickering. It goes out and he's using his flashlight and he, he's like, oh, this is something going on. And then it kind of gets his juices flowing again because now something he realizes something like suspicious has really happened. So I think that that was a really good performance uh, for him. And I really enjoyed seeing him and his character. Um, and I, you know, and, and to go back into the beginning of whenever he came into the sheriff's office is kind of slightly off topic of what I was talking about. But the whole being able to relate to like, it didn't seem like he was like a morning person when he's telling the receptionist or whatever she was, you know, coffee and contemplation, mm-hmm. you know, for mornings. I'm like, I can so relate. Oh, I used to yeah. do that whenever I used to go into my office all the time. There was like a rule, like you couldn't talk to me for like the first hour <laughs> that I came into work and everybody knew it. Like, unless the place is on fire, do not come in here and talk to me. <laughs> Because that was my coffee time, my wake up time, and leave me alone. Um, so yeah. I thought that he he played that off really funny. Um, Matthew Modine, he's you know got some great acting chops, and he was around a lot in the eighties and nineties. He's got a lot of roles under his belt as well, so it was really cool to see him in this role as well. And it kind of legitimizes, I think, the series a little bit because you've got a, a lot of unknown actors. The Deffer brothers aren't that well known. You know, this is like a new thing for them. Um, and I think to get some of these veteran actors, you know, to kind of give some credit to this new show, new showrunners, um, these little kids, you know, I don't know how much acting experience that they had, but, you know, to me, they were unknown. Um, so it was just really, really kind of cool to see that the balance between the kids and the adults and the great performances from both. So I'll agree with all that. I think the just to touch back on like what you said about Winona Ryder, there was a few parts where I kind of. You wonder if because it's Winona Ryder, it takes you out of it a little bit. Like maybe you're expecting more because she is that well-known actress that you like when she says, oh, you haven't woke Will up yet. You need to wake him up. How many times have I told you? It wasn't as believable. And so I wonder if it's just like if as the series goes on, if she's going to get more and more into that character that it'll, you know, it's, you know, just like riding a bike again, like she's trying to get back into it. Um, right. Or maybe those are just the choices she's made. It's like, well, this is, you know, she's a an overworked, stressed mom that, you know, she's, this is how she would deliver it. But um, I, I'm really, that's another person I'm kind of keeping my eye on to see how she plays out in this show with, with more so the actress, more analysis of how she's doing, I guess, instead of her character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. I think that she drew some inspiration I read somewhere from, um, and I don't know if you've seen the movie or are familiar with it, but she drew inspiration from the Meryl Street character in Silkwood. Okay, I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, I think she might have won the Oscar. I know she was at least nominated. She might have won the award for that. I don't remember. It's a really good movie. Uh, that movie was released, um, I think, the same year that this show is based on. Okay. Um, so she kind of, um, I think, drew some inspiration from that. Her haircut as well also was inspiration <laughs> from Meryl <laughs> Street's character. That, of that, that makes same sense. Time. Yeah. Because whenever I've seen Meryl Streep, and that kind of thinking about that kind of seems how she plays it. It always seems more of like a Broadway actor. Mm-hmm. Like it's just more of over the top, more. And that's how I always see Meryl Streep whenever she plays a character. Like it doesn't seem like a real life character. It seems like somebody on a stage. And I guess that's kind of how I've seen her play. So that would make sense if she took that direction. Yep. Absolutely. So what is your number one? So my number one, we've kind of touched on it a little bit too. So it's it's the bond of the friends. So, you know, you have Will, whenever he goes missing, they go searching for him. You've got the AV club. And the one thing I thought was really, really cool too is how they banded together. And they, they weren't like your typical like bullies, like we're not going to give you wedgies and give you, you know, uh, swirlies in the toilet. It was just more of we're going to make you feel less than human bullies, which is probably worse Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they make fun of each one of the three guys, you know, they have, uh, was it 
is Mike was it Michael the one that popped his arms? Um, or is that Dustin? Dustin. You know, they make Dustin pop his arms and uh you know, they at least don't beat him up, but still they're kind of, you know, mean to him. But it's still just that like stand by me, you know, the you know, the the guys that are gonna be your friends all the way through high school kind of thing. And yeah, um just seeing that bond of these guys getting ready to take this adventure was just I really like that. And we kinda of talked about a little bit like the great actors and stuff like that. So but yeah, my number one would have been that bond of the friends. Yeah, that was that was great. It almost seemed like, and like I said, I, I didn't read too much about it beforehand, but it, it was like almost like they had these kids just like before they even started filming, just started letting these kids like hang out together Yeah, and, and almost like form that friendship. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. I'm not sure. Um, but if if not, that just really speaks to their, their skills. Um, but that's what it almost seemed like is they kind of put these kids in a room and like, okay, go bond, you know? Yeah. It's like, Hey, you kids go to sleepaway camp for four weeks and then come back and we'll start shooting the show. Right. Go through the ultimate bonding experience at <laughs> camp. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really have too much more to add to that. Cause I know we've talked about it a lot, but I think, I think just because it, it's really a big, big part of it. I think that's why, you know, or at least part of why the show really works. Um, because it, it is, is really centric around these kids and their missing friend. Um, you know, the, the adults are a big part of it and their characters um, are all a big role and there's a lot other pieces to it too. Um, you know, there's a whole other side of it, the government experiments or these, mm-hmm. or these experiments that are happening. And that's kind of like an 80s thing. I think that was always a big, con- you know, these conspiracies that were always, you know, kind of big. So there's a lot of elements, of course, to the show. But that's obviously what this is about are these kids. And um, so I think it was really great how it just – Sometimes you just get that chemistry and that mix and it just works and there's almost no explaining it. You just accept it for what it is and it works and it's great and you run with it. But yeah, it's, it's totally great. Yep. So that's all I had for my number one. I've got a few other notes. Um, yeah, let's hear your notes. What you got? Um, so a quick one is just kind of what I noticed. The very opening of the show, um, they do kind of like a Star Wars opening where they're looking at the stars mm-hmm. and then they pan down to the uh, government lab. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it seemed very Star Warsian, where like you get the opening Star Wars credits and they're looking at the stars, and yeah. then they just pan down to a spaceship or a spaceship floats in. Um, just kind of a quick note on that. Um, one of the other things that I noticed in here, so me being from a small school, there really wasn't like that cool club thing that was kind of talked about. So like Nancy's gonna start; she's been making out with. And I'm going to call him Steve the D because I think Steve's a douchebag. Like, I do not trust this kid. Yeah. This is the the guy that I hated in high school because, you know, he's a smooth talker. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't remember, like, she rattles off, like, three girls' names that, you know, he's apparently hooked up with. And she's like, you know, I just want you to know that I'm not another notch in your belt. He's like, oh, well, you know, of course not. You know, let's just let's just go out tonight in my car to some point, you know, away from everybody. And she's like, so, so why? It's like, well, so we can study because it's quiet. <laughs> you know, that's not what he's trying to do. I, Definitely I, not. I know what Steve the D is trying to do. And the D stands for douchebag. Yeah. And yeah, without even you having to tell me, I knew exactly where you were going with that <laughs> because I totally agreed. His character does not come off, you know, as, as the nicest guy. He's definitely... um at least puts it out there that he's just after one thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's make out time, baby, you know, but, yeah. but the, the thing I, I, so like she, she's hanging out with Steve and like her friend is like, well, you're going to be super popular now. Like, just make sure you're still friends with me when that happens. 
And I sometimes I feel like this is too much of a trope, but maybe different schools had this. Like my school definitely had cliques, but it wasn't something where like, oh, if I'm dating, you know, Susie from the cheerleading team, now I'm going to be in the cool club. Since we all kind of grew up to each other, we all kind of like, well, I mean, like we don't get along with this person, but there's not really like a cool club. Like we don't want to be part of this group because it's the cool club. So that's the only thing that I couldn't really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if in your school it was different. Maybe maybe I just like blocked it out because I wasn't part of the cool club. Maybe that's what it is. Right. Well, yeah, because we had a whole 10 more kids than what you did in your class. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we had enough <laughs> enough uh, for a clique or a group. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. We, we had the cutoff. So it's like, well, everybody's technically in the cool club <laughs> yeah. just because there's not enough of us. <laughs> no, that's. No, I, I, I am from the same um, experience. There was not, we, we all grew up together. We were from kindergarten until, and I mean, that class carried on. I mean, I, I moved, but the rest of them carried on. And, and there wasn't really, we all pretty much got along. There was always one or two kids in the class that might've irritated you or something. And you may not have cared that much for them, or they kind of got on your nerves, but you know, in the end, you were still kind of friends because you've mm-hmm. known each other for so long. We didn't have cliques or groups either. It was mostly the boys and the girls. You know, the girls were doing the girly girl stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then the guys were doing like the football and, and the rough and tumble kind of stuff like at recess. So that was that was the groups that were divided as far as um, my school. There was no, you know, I was definitely a nerd, but I wasn't, uh, um, I was more of a closet nerd. I didn't talk mm-hmm. about my nerddom <laughs> to anyone I didn't expose myself um but I was a tomboy so while the girls were doing the girly girl things I was playing football with the boys um you know and doing the 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 fun I thought fun stuff it was no fun for me to be prancing around the you know the the playground with whatever new purse was cool at the time that was not Uh cool to me I wanted to be playing the fun stuff with the boys so I was that that was really how we were divided so yeah that that's something that's kind of unfamiliar to me as well i've only i've you know can only experience it in shows or movies as far as the clicks now maybe whenever i moved into high school it wasn't it was bigger but not like some schools where there's just hundreds and hundreds of kids um it got a little bit clicky and that was so unfamiliar to me um experiencing that so yeah i get i get what you're saying i didn't have that either as a kid especially at that age we were all friends let's see and so the only other note i had we didn't really touch on it but it was the the guy who ran the the restaurant when 11 came in benny yeah um instantly i really liked the guy because he seemed like he had a good heart seemed like he was a great guy yeah and fortunately like all of his good end up you know he ends up getting killed but I'm assuming the government, I'm assuming whoever's running this facility came to clean up their mess and mm-hmm. had to take out any of the, uh, you know, witnesses. And so, like, you know, he's doing all the best he can. He seemed like he had a good heart. And poor Benny had to, you know, end up getting shot by who he thought was a social worker. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought him up because I was, you know, trying to think of a place to kind of put him um, in, in my top five somewhere. And I can kind of lump him up in with the adult um, characters and such on the show. I thought he, you know, for the small time that we had him on the screen, you know, he seemed initially when he scared the hell out of Eleven, you know, when he catches her eating those fries, he seems, you know, uh, your first impression might be, oh, he's he's kind of a rough and tough kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as you said, as he sat her down and he's, you know, trying to talk talk her out, you know, because obviously she's not talking and he's trying to draw it out of her and he's like, you know, oh, you know, your, your parents, you know, did, did they hurt you? And, you know, you can tell he, he cares and he's trying to do right by this kid, you know, who won't talk to him or tell him anything. And 
he's trying to do the right thing, and the poor guy gets taken out, and mm-hmm. no good deed goes unpunished, you know? And they played, I mean, he played that character great, because, like, he's like, hey, you know, I think she's a runaway, I'm pretty sure she was abused. Yeah. And from that, you kind of get, like, okay, I bet, I bet his character had the exact same thing happen in his past. That's why he can identify... You know, right. she's probably gone through some things that he's gone through as a kid. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was a, like, even though it was a little bit of screen time, I thought it was just a really well-played character. And again, unfortunately, he had to go sooner than I'd like. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's how that's how TV shows go. Yep. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I liked his character, too. Do you have any other see. notes? Nope. That, that was my last note. Did you have any extra notes? I did, and it's something because I feel like, uh, you know, people are going to maybe some look at me and be like, you are praising this show way too much, so I- I'm not throwing in anything like I feel like I have to put in anything. It's not quite negative, but just something that kind of bugged me um, just because I feel like I have to be real, and I remember thinking about it, and I'm like, well, that kind of bugs me a little bit that that's happening and hasn't been addressed um, for whatever reason, so my thing is, is why didn't anyone not notice the phone off of the hook when they got home at Will's house? Because remember he was on the phone trying to dial 911, and he it seemed like he had initially at least got an answer before the mm-hmm. phone went out. He sees the creature approaching the door and panics and drops the phone. And you see it dangling, you know, that old rotary phone with yeah. the long, long cord that we can all remember from those days, um, just dangling there. And, of course, then he runs outside. So I'm like, okay, so his brother came home, I'm guessing, before the mom um, is my guess anyway, at least from how the, the scene the next morning takes place. But either one of them, did anyone notice that the phone was off the hook and question that? And be like, why is the phone off the hook? What's what's going on? Um, That's a good catch. Yeah, and I mean, it just bugged me because I I don't know I I feel like I would notice that if I got home. But then also, so the brother and the mom they're they're getting home late. They're obviously not home when Will is. You know, he's at home screaming for either his brother or his mom when when all this is happening. Um, did anyone not? Maybe the brother. I could I could totally believe that the brother would not. I don't. I didn't have siblings um, at that age. Whenever I was home alone all the time or whatever, anyone to check on me. But as a mom myself, if I come home late and I know that my kid has has been out and then they've come home, I at least like go peek open the door. Mm, you know, yeah. are they are they asleep? Are they really asleep and they're not awake reading up in their bed or do or watching TV or something they're not supposed to be doing? <laughs> um, but, you know, just kind of peeping in. And I want to see the, the shape of them in their bed in the dark and know that they're they're home and they're safe and they're and they're good. Like, why did no one check on him when they got home? Do they just come home and wipe out and go to bed and don't even peek in there to see that he's home and safe? I mean, t- to me, that just seems a little inconsistent as a parent. I could see where maybe the brother wouldn't because it's a brother, big brother, yeah. like, oh, whatever. Um, but the mom, I'm like, how, as a mom, I, I mean, I would still watch my kid sleeping to make sure she was still breathing. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> Much less knowing that they're not checking on them when they come home. I know parents even like when I was, you know, 18 and things like that, like, you know, I'd come home and mom would still be waiting up for me, even though she had to work in the morning or she'd at least, you know, knock on my door, peek in and make sure I was okay. But I guess the phone was it. It was hanging back up when uh, the mom came in. Right. And she made that phone call. So is I, there. Yeah. I feel like it was, it was, it was hung up because she went to call uh, Mike's house because she thought, okay, well, he's not here. Wasn't he at Mike's um, thinking, oh, he must've just probably stayed the night. I think that's a really good catch. Cause yeah. Cause if the brother came home and it was on the floor, either you'd get that annoying dial tone that beep, 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 beep. Yeah, because back in the day, it would keep beeping. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, may, and maybe there's a scene there where the brother comes home and would hang it up, and that would kind of make sense. But even then, like, that seems really, like, you know, that's like the, I guess here, maybe the door would be unlocked, but that's, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be like that for today. Um, I can't think of anything specific that would, like, it's just something that's sitting out that's out of place. Like, well, why is the phone not on the hook? Okay, I'm going to kind of peek around the house and make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just kind of stood out to me that it just seems slightly inconsistent from a realistic point of view. Just you know, um, thinking of it as like a parent, maybe I could I could see where the brother would maybe get a pass that maybe he wouldn't be as thorough as like a parent because siblings never think about their siblings in that way, or most don't. I won't say as a blanket statement, but it just seemed slightly inconsistent to me, and it just kind of bugged me. It, it wasn't like a huge thing, like oh well. Now I'm it, the show is ruined for me, <laughs> but it just <laughs> just one of those things that kind of stood out that that bugged a little bit. Um, so that was one of my notes, um, and I just thought one other little thing that I had was some of that foreshadowing that Will had. Um, I think that you mentioned it earlier uh, was whenever he told Mike and he said that he rolled a seven, um, and he said Demi Gorgon got him. Mm, um, yeah, and it just seemed like. You know, and and at the time they're just they're just talking about Dungeons and Dragons. It's just a game, but it's almost like Mike got this look on his face because it was mm-hmm. like Will was almost more. And this is before anything had even happened at that point. You know, everything at this point is still okay, but just the looks on her face is like Will just seems so sad about it. And then Mike was just like, "Why are you so sad?" And he just kind of you know had this look on his face, and it was just kind of sad because then look what happens next, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Well, that's what's cool is they for, with the foreshadowing even further when they're talking on the walkies when the boys go out to to look for Will. He talks about like, well, in the game he he casted fireball without thinking. Like you know, he wanted to cast protection. May, maybe that's what he did here. So instead of him, you know, casting fireball, somehow he casted protection. Right. Is the way I took that. So. Mike's like, okay, so I th- he he's still alive, I think, but I think he's trying to protect us. And I thought that was kind of an interesting tie back in. Like, he learned from his mistake from D&D, you know, jumping in and trying to fight the bad thing, that now he's more in protection mode of his friends. Right. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of that sprinkled in this episode, I think. Very interesting. Well, that's all the notes that I have. And you didn't have any anything else you wanted to talk about? Nope, that was the last bit of notes I had. Awesome. So we will get now to some news for Stranger Things. And just like a heads up, um, I'm trying to keep some of the news for the show since we have some people, obviously, who have binged it and have seen it. We have some people who are picking it up for the first time. Um, So I'm trying to keep some of the news kind of centric around like the beginnings of Stranger Things and how it was created and developed and maybe some of the thought processes. Um, There's also going to be uh, maybe some Netflix news since this is a Netflix kind of show. Um, Well, not kind of show. It is a Netflix show. Um, and that's kind of where, where we're focused. So that's going to be kind of where I'm going to focus some of, uh, of my news. Cause I don't want to spoil anything too far ahead of the series for those who haven't watched and, um, for anyone who's kind of sticking to the week by week kind of schedule. So the first piece of news that I have is from the AV club and it says, this is kind of a good heads up for everyone who's watching this show for the first time. This is a good little tip for you. So most of your Stranger Things Season 2 binge watch concerns have probably been centered on having adequate sustenance ready for the October 27th premiere date. But the show's creators want you to make sure your TV is set up to properly render the nostalgia-glazed images. Matt and Ross Duffer tell Vulture, among many other things about the show, that it's best experienced on the kind of set you would have watched and edited for TV version of E.T. or Close Encounters of the Third Kind 
or some other Steven Spielberg movie. According to the Duffer Brothers, your beautiful 4K flat screen might make something like Doctor Strange look great, but it's totally killing their vibe. (laughs) (laughs) This is what they say. Us and everyone in Hollywood put so much time and effort and money into getting things to look just right, Matt Duffer huffs. And when you see it in someone's home, it looks like it was shot on an iPhone. His brother Ross says they found it shocking that the TVs at Comic-Con were also set to transmit images improperly because didn't a bunch of nerds put this together? What's wrong with them? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking the same. So to avoid having Stranger Things season two, or if you're watching season one, look like garbage, as they quote, on your TV next month, Matt says the key thing is to turn off anything that says motion, True motion, smooth motion. The producing brothers didn't touch on the display for internet-connected devices like smartphones and laptops, presumably because they could only handle one disappointment at a time. <laughs> uh, that's like I feel like if if something like this takes off, we're gonna see like throwback tube TVs come out. Like you know, go out and get your old school tube TV for you know six thousand dollars. You know, you can watch Stranger Things like it was intended. Yes. Oh my gosh, those old eighties tube TVs. We had the one um, that TV that like the wooden. I don't know what they're called, but it had like the wood console around it or whatever. Oh yeah, like it was uh, almost like a coffee table type thing. Yes. Yeah, yes, my parents had. had one of those. Yeah, that's great. They're, those are coming back. It's all vintage now, people. <laughs> Remember the eighties are coming back. So <laughs> where you have to turn it. Well, yeah, back then like there was no remote. The remote was you walking up and changing the channel. Yeah, your your mom or your dad. Hey, you go. Flip that to this channel, that channel, until they found one that they liked. All of your four or five channels. <laughs> uh, that's funny. People like really young right now are probably thinking, what the hell? What kind of awful era was this? <laughs> the bad thing is, I mean, I would assume that, I don't know, like kids like in their teens, maybe younger, they're like, well, what do you need a TV for? I can just watch it on my phone or my computer. Like, exactly. I don't know how many kids like want that TV. Yeah. So many things are on like iPads or their laptops or even phones in some circumstances. So yeah, it's hilarious. So yeah, yeah. if you've got a, a one of those awesome 4K uh, flat screens um, and you're watching Stranger Things, something to keep in mind. So the next article comes from Variety. And this kind of goes into a little bit about um, the the series as a whole and where they're headed. So brothers Matt and Ross Duffer, creators of Netflix's streaming hit Stranger Things, have done like Game of Thrones, D.B. Weiss, and David Benioff and slapped an expiration date on their popular series. So during an interview with Vulture, the Duffer brothers explained they envisioned Stranger Things ending after four seasons. According to the brothers, Netflix has already renewed the series for a third season. But by the end of that season, the preteens of Hawkins, Indiana will be headed towards college. We're thinking it will be a four-season thing and then out, Ross said. So I, I love that TV series can do this because if you don't, what you end up with is things like Lost or mm-hmm. you know things that just drag on too long and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm watching but I'm not happy that I'm watching. Right. You know, like you have Game of Thrones that says, nope, we're ending after this season. You know, there's going to be a culmination and they're they're heading towards a conclusion. It's not just going to be like, OK, we could stretch it out for another season and make more money and stretch it out to another season to make more money. You know, it's all more like when stuff like this happens, it's all more about making the story right, which I just exactly. love. Exactly. 
I, I'm in total agreement that I think when you can put an end date on it and you write it towards that end, it just seems better. They did it with Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when and when lost lost kind of i feel like like you said it, i think it kind of got off the rails a little bit in the middle there i, I love it sorry people i do love the show i'm not be, beating it up by any means but you gotta admit there was a little bit in between there that was a little yeah. bit you know off the rails and i think when they finally decided okay two more seasons and we're done and they started to wrap it up then you saw you know how it all came together and, you know, I think um, and then like with Game of Thrones, for anyone that's watching that, there's another season to go. But if you're watching and you're current, you can see how the things because they know that there's an end date and you see that payoff of how it's sometimes just better. You know, let's not run this out for 20 years. You know, it's where I kind of worry about The Walking Dead just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <you that's, know? laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of the comic. I still read the comic to this day and it's still really good, but. There's just something with the attention span of TV shows that, you know, a comic can go mm-hmm. for, you know, 300 issues and probably still be fairly decent. But TV show just kind of starts becoming more of a burden, and especially if you have a bad season followed by a, you know, even worse season that it just, yeah, it just hurts, just hurts. Right. Well, and then you start thinking about, you know, maybe some of the actors just don't want to be there anymore. Oh, They're yeah, probably yeah. tired of, of playing these same characters over and over, and they want to expand or they want to do different things or other projects or because they're tied to this TV schedule, which is pretty demanding, at least for The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. pretty demanding um, that they want to do something else. They don't get a chance to spread their you know, um, acting wings, so to speak, and, and do other things. So I think that's pretty smart. And considering that the, the kids are kind of the main people of the show, and they age. They're, oh, yeah. they're, they're growing, and so you better write this stuff and get it down, and at least they're smart enough to say, you know, hey, these kids are going to be going to college. How can we keep writing, you know, what they're writing? You don't want the Save by the, save by the Bell effect <laughs> where the kids have been in high school for 10 <laughs> years? Nope. <laughs> nope. And, and definitely not a fan of um, Saved by the Bell, so I definitely don't want anything like that. <laughs> sorry for anyone that liked it, <laughs> but I'm not sorry. <laughs> okay. Next article is from Looper. Um, almost every aspect of the show is laden with Easter egg style detailing. Showrunner showrunners the Duffer Brothers assembled the show as an ode to their decade of birth, and the history of its creation is almost as fascinating as the series itself. So here's a look. Uh, a little bit behind the scenes story of Stranger Things. So the title art tribute, you know, when you see that title art come up for Stranger Things and the words that pop up. So most of these things uh, in Stranger Things, pop culture references were put in on purpose. The title art is no exception. It uses a modified version of a font called ITC Benguat. And I'm sorry, I'm totally butchering that. You can Google it and probably come <laughs> up with it. Um, which has been used on a slew of classic Stephen King book covers, including, but not limited to, Cujo, Salem's Lot, Firestarter, Pet Cemetery, Misery, and The Stand. The typeface, which was designed by Ed Benguat, hence the name, was popularized in 1978 and has also been seen in the openings for films like Star Trek Generations, and Star Trek First Contact. So that's pretty cool. I love all of that. Um, I love that title art. It was definitely familiar when I saw it. Um, it's like some of the same stuff they used for those Stephen King books. Um, another cool little tidbit, the kids were schooled 
on 80s movies, so finding the right child stars for Stranger Things was of paramount importance to the show's potential success, because even though there are cast members with a higher billing, a lot of the action and intensity revolves around those little scamps. So to find the right stars, the Duffer Brothers auditioned 906 boys and 307 girls for the roles using scenes from Stand By Me, the 30-year-old Stephen King classic, Um, that had a ton of influence on their own story. When they finally settled on Finn Wolfhard, Gatton Matarazzo, Caleb McLaughlin, and Noah Schnapp, they were pleased by the immediate camaraderie the boys had with one another. They had even formed a group text during the summer leading up to production, which made them fast friends before filming began. Aha, puzzle unlocked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so, settling on Millie Bobby Brown as their 11, too, was a moment of win. They sent all of the kiddos home with instructions to watch films like Poltergeist and The Goonies to get a sense <laughs> nice. of the look and feel of the show to come, and it paid off. The Duffers told EW on the first day of filming, during which they shot the first scene of the quartet playing Dungeons and Dragons together, the boys flew through the scene effortlessly and energetically, and their chemistry was electric. They felt like they had known each other their whole lives. Other than when we sold the show to Netflix, this was the single biggest moment for Stranger Things. <laughs> That's awesome. That is super awesome. And last little tidbit of that article is Stephen King is a fan. So anytime he gives something a thumbs up, I feel like that's a huge stamp of approval. So as the single biggest source of inspiration for Stranger Things, Stephen King's praise of the show is worth a lot. The author wrote on Twitter that when he watched the show, it was like watching Stephen King's greatest hits in a good way (laughs) and graded the program an A for pure fun. Interestingly enough, Wolfhard, who plays Mike Wheeler in the show, will star in another big Stephen King-inspired property, the upcoming big screen adaptation of it which full circle the duffers tried in vain to direct years ago oh wow that's interesting yeah that is interesting gosh small world hollywood right mm-hmm. yeah i do like i don't know if you know this about the it movie so when it was it came out in the 90s mm-hmm. as a tv show right yeah and like a miniseries yeah 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 and 27 years later the new one comes out and the character it uh, feeds every 27 years. Yes. I am aware of that little tidbit. <laughs> I know way more than what I want to know <laughs> about that damn movie. <laughs> I don't you. I love to be scared. I don't know why I torture myself. I'm a masochist, I think. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> okay, last article is from Variety. So this little piece says T-Mobile is giving Netflix free to family plan unlimited subscribers. So listen up, people, if you have T-Mobile. So they're about to grant free Netflix subscriptions to customers with unlimited family plans, opening a new content-fueled front in the wireless wars. With the Netflix promo, the price of the T-Mobile One unlimited plans remains the same, $40 a line up to four lines, but customers with two or more voice lines are eligible to receive Netflix's standard HD plan with two simultaneous streams at no additional charge. T-Mobile will extend this free Netflix offer to customers who already subscribe to the video service. And the Netflix offer kicks off September 12th, and you can find more information at T-Mobile. I do not work for T-Mobile. Uh, this is not a promotion <laughs> for T-Mobile. I just thought if you have that service, that's a pretty cool little thing because um, this is a Netflix show, um, and this will give you a chance to get it for free. Yeah, save yourself ten bucks a month. That's a pretty sweet deal. Hey, ten bucks is ten bucks, man. Heck yeah. So yeah, that's it for the news for Stranger Things and a few tidbits of Netflix. 
So next we have letters from the upside down. So Sean, why don't you take the first one? All right. So Wendy Ott Eppers, uh, watched the first episode today, really liked it. Creepy without being overt, definitely had the 80s E.T. vibe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Madrid says, I heard about Stranger Things on NPR's PCH podcast. I love the show. There's something endearing about it. Maybe it's that I was about 15 in the time the show is set. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. After that, I was the annoying guy at work asking everyone, have you seen Stranger Things? Oh, man, have you, you have to see Stranger Things. I'll stop now. <laughs> yeah, I so I've only watched the first episode. I'm a year behind, and so I was that guy at work. I'm like, oh, my God, have you seen this new thing called Stranger Things? <laughs> of course, everybody's like, well, yeah, of course. Like, last year, I'm ready for season two. Get with the program, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stephanie Horn Alfaro? Uh, sometimes I feel like I live in the upside down. Yeah. Sometimes I feel that way too. Sean, whenever you discover what the upside down is, maybe you have to let us know <laughs> if you concur with that statement or if you can relate. Pake Allen says, hi, Pake. He doesn't really say that. I'm saying that because I know Pake. Um, <laughs> great series premiere. Really laid out the personalities of some main characters very well. Within one episode, I already felt like I could understand and fit into the boys' friend group. Great classic horror feel with the opening and Will running and being taken. And the E.T.-esque ending with Eleven is already iconic to me. Yeah, she does really give off that E.T. vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Michael Kostaka watched season one last summer and just finished binging it again with my family and prep for season two. Amazing show. Teresa Champagne, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. You'll have to let me know um, if I'm doing that wrong. She says, I really didn't care for the first season, but I'm definitely going to try the second one. Maybe it'll get better. Oh. Hmm. So let us know what, what, what you didn't like. I'm curious, um, you know, no, no judgment. Um, really curious as to why you didn't care much for that first season. So write in and let us know. I'm interested. I want to hear everyone's opinions, good and bad. Yeah, I love seeing both sides because if you're just always like raw rawing a show, sometimes it feels fake. Like I want to, like you said with the phone, like I want to know what isn't right because, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't mean the show is terrible if it misses on a few things, but I think it's good to point that out. Yep, I agree. I, I had to be true. It stuck out to me and I thought, I just have to mention it. I'm not going to glaze over and pretend that everything is perfect with this show because there's a few missteps and it's okay. We'll, we'll work through it together. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's it for listener feedback. Thank you, everyone, um, for writing in. I hope um, everyone continues to write in for uh, the continuing episodes as we go along. I'm, I'm really anxious to hear um, everyone everyone's thoughts on the show. So thank you, everyone. All right, so then for next week, we'll be covering the second episode from Season 1, which is titled Chapter 2, The Weirdo on Maple Street. And the description <laughs> for this episode, which besides, that's an awesome title. Yeah. The the description for this episode is Mike hides the mysterious girl in his house. Joyce gets a strange phone phone call. If I mm-hmm. I, I can relate, I've hide numerous mysterious girls in my house away from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> You're so bad. <laughs> Are you sure you want to be talking about that here? <laughs> <laughs> That's not your girlfriend in there, is it, Sean? No. <laughs> Is that how, how high your voice was? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to make mom mad. 
No, gosh, no, <laughs> never. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, one last thing that I want to say, I do want to say um, this This was kind of put together at the last minute. We've had some really great feedback from everyone, really excited for this um, podcast and really excited to have something to listen to about Stranger Things. And I just want to thank everyone for all of their support um, J- and for Jason allowing us to be a part of the Podcastica Network and putting it out there and allowing Sean and I um, to, to talk about this really cool show. And everyone was really supportive, especially every Everyone in the Patreon group. Hi, guys. I love you. You guys are the best. Um, everyone was really great and supportive. So thank you all so much for um, all the support. And I hope that we we do right by you guys. And I hope you guys keep listening and uh, keep letting us know what you think. So write in um, and let us know. So thank thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Love to hear good or bad what you like about the show. And, you know, I'm like I said, I'm excited to be part of the Podcastica Network on this and excited to be doing the show with you, Rima. It's, it, we're just going to have so much fun. It, as you can tell from episode one we've covered. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm, I'm very excited to be doing this with you, Sean. I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else. So I'm, I'm having a great time. So... Okay, so we're excited for you to travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. You can email to StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like Game of Microphones at podcastica.com. Yeah, baby. And make sure to check out Sean in his other podcast. He's cheating on me. Oh, um, I know. On, on his podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. I kind of like to, you know, spread myself all over the place. Spreading your seed, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a, um, the dude from Guardians of the Galaxy. I go to different planets, plant my seed. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that's our show, episode one, chapter one, The Vanishing of Will Byers. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And David Ballin is strange indeed.